Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the pod here on The Overlap. I'm joined once again by my friend Rion, but we changed things up again. This time we're meeting up in person. Rion was able to, to come up to the city for the weekend, so we're out here recording in my apartment this morning. So, man, Rion, how you been? It's good to finally see you in person now. Yeah, been been all right. Been all right. Um, up here to celebrate um, family, friends, or who my, my dad's good friends' uh, birthday, and you know, I'll be back next weekend when I fully move in but yeah um but yeah that was a fine trip up unfortunately I did not get to watch the uh the U.S. national team game I was in the car the entire the entire match <laughs> um but you know outside of everything that I'm very happy to see that they were able to easily beat Cuba which is, should be expected from the team <laughs> that's like um, that's the, that should be the norm that's the yeah <laughs> that should be the bar it should really be the bar that and being able to beat Trinidad and Tobago quite easily too, but you know, obviously that does not always work yeah, out. I'm a little, a little <laughs> triggered by that. Um, it was like two years to the day too. Yes, right? Yeah, two days ago. Yeah, two, yeah. two days ago was the was the uh, anniversary, I guess. Um, <laughs> of of what became the downfall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah, no. Uh, we've got the international break, which is always terrible. Um, Absolutely usually, terrible. usually terrible. Usually terrible, but. Um, I think, I think this has already been the best one ever, and it has nothing to do with the what has been on the field. <laughs> yeah. So I woke up on what was it Wednesday that this happened? Yeah, I, I, think, I think it was Wednesday. Um, I woke up on Wednesday and I I opened up a couple apps in the morning, uh, check my messages, check Snapchat, check Instagram, and uh, I always open up Twitter, see what the day's news is, you know what's trending, and I see. Um, Leicester City striker Jamie Vardy is trending on Twitter. I said, oh, I wonder what's going on. Maybe it's a transfer rumor, something we can talk about during the pod. pod. But no, no. Lo and behold, ladies and gentlemen, it's Crisis Central, and we're not talking about football. It's Rebecca Vardy and Colleen Rooney butting heads at it again over this incredibly raunchous Sun article and long list of Sun articles that Colleen Rooney herself has just absolutely bamboozled and ousted <laughs> Rebecca Vardy for. Um, yeah, this was, this was weird. Oh, this yeah. is, it feels like a comedy. This you know? was great. This was so good. I mean, you know, it's, it was a few days into the international break, and like you said, it, we're always a little disappointed when we get the international break and stuff because obviously we can't watch our club teams, and then, you know, you always have people being afraid of their players getting injured, and you know, all that horrible stuff that usually comes with the international break, you know, along with just watching the U.S. national team. But, um, then, no, this was unreal. Um, obviously, if you haven't heard the story, uh, basically on Colleen Rooney, Wayne Rooney's wife's wife, um, on her Twitter, she basically put out this big note talking about how the last few years, um, someone that's very close to her has been... Uh, leaking stories to the Sun, which is a notoriously horrible newspaper, <laughs> n- horrible uh, tabloid in England, um, been leaking a lot of stories about her personal life that only someone that is very close to her would know. And uh, basically, up to these last few months, she she kind of zeroed in on who she thought it might be, and so um, I mean, she yeah. went. She she really went on a on a whole Nancy Drew kind of Sherlock Holmes <laughs> on this the, the modern version of this with with uh, social media, where basically she only 
showed her stories or shared her stories with one friend and <laughs> and and was just putting out like fake news about herself and seeing if they were going to get leaked to the sun and and um that uh, one account did take the bait and was actually sending all, all these fake stories and that account was Rebecca Vardy Jamie Vardy's wife's account <laughs> um, and uh, so she obviously put this on social media without I suppose saying a word to Rebecca Vardy herself and um, <laughs> Rebecca Vardy naturally responded on Instagram didn't even go on the same social media she put a I, I, one of those Apple notes on, on Instagram a screenshot of it and uh, it is it is the best like just story I've yes. ever read through like a, a picture of an Apple note it was and it, it had everything and um, if you were to survey a hundred people <laughs> on what the response to an allegation like that would be, I would guess that at least 80% of the people would say that someone, that the other person would say that uh, they were hacked or someone else was using their Instagram account. Absolutely, that's what Rebecca Vardy did. Um, and just, if you also would have guessed that she would talk about uh, how, the extent of how pregnant she is, <laughs> having anything to do with this. We, we are also not taking away from anything about the fact that she is apparently very late in her pregnancy here. And, and getting to the, I guess... The As if that has anything to do with this. <laughs> Again. <laughs> As if that has anything to do with it. Um, I'm sure she's stressed, but it was still hilarious to read out her, her response to, to Colleen Rooney here. Where she said in her, her response Apple note here on Instagram that she put up, I wish that you would come to me first, especially considering how pregnant I am. It's just, it's, it's comedy gold. It's like... I, oh my god! Like, I can't even imagine what ben, Men and Blazers is saying right now. <laughs> but, but like, I guess it gets us to our to our, uh, our conclusion here. Who who we, whose sides are we taking here? Oh, Colleen Rudy's. Like ben that's Colin, not okay. Like come on! Like if you block every account from seeing your Instagram story, and the only account that's seeing it is this one person, and the only information you're feeding into it is fake news, and it ends up in the newspaper. Come on! That's like barely circumstantial at that point. No, just to play devil's advocate oh here. Oh my god! She, I mean, she does say, Rebecca does say that over the years, uh, various people have had access to her Insta. I mean, I, I, I would, I, I cannot relate. I'm not, I'm not rich, so I, don't, <laughs> so I don't have people managing my Instagram. Um, and she said she's only, she only just found out that she was following people that she never knew she had followed. Um, Wondering who these people who are managing her account are. Is she talking about her children? Um, is she talking about nannies? A like, manager? Uh, yeah. So, you know, I, maybe I'm going to give her a slight benefit of the doubt. Maybe. Maybe oh she uh, has a niece that manages her Instagram <laughs> account. And, and, her and niece, has contacts and with the niece, sun. Yeah, yeah and, her, and her niece has just been calling up the sun and, and giving away Colleen Rooney's... Um, Personal details. I mean, it was quite a flex in here. She literally says, <laughs> "She says I'm not being funny, but I don't need the money." Okay? <laughs> so, so I mean, you know, oh, uh, it's it's just absolutely priceless. These are these are rich people problems. Are they're amazing. They're really amazing. I 
I wish I could be at this level where I didn't even know who I was following on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know who I was following. Yeah, I think you only, like, the British people only follow, like, maximum, like, 100, 200 people. So, yeah, like, oh, I, I don't even know, like, the 50 of them. <laughs> it's yeah. just, like, not worth my time. Yeah, she got, she got 800, she's got 420,000 followers and 823 people that she's following. That is insane. I mean, good for her, like, cutting down the <laughs> number of people 823 she people she's following. I'm following, like, a thousand people, so, like... Yeah. Uh, yeah, actually, maybe, maybe maybe I'm turning a little bit, because it's not, like, a crazy... <laughs> that's not a crazy amount of people to be following, yeah. to say that you don't know. Yeah. Especially yeah. someone like Colleen Rooney, you know? Yeah. We'll, we'll need some more... I'll need to investigate this a little bit more on my own, I suppose, but... Are you going to block um, me from... Like, yeah, all yeah, it's yeah. Maybe, maybe I'll have to do my own <laughs> social experiment here. <laughs> but, God, but, I can't believe we just spent the last nine yeah, minutes talking about yeah, this. But I guess, I, guess that's, I guess that's all we have to say on it now. I, I hope that we get some more news out of this and that they don't just kind of leave this... Oh, no. And, uh, we need more content. Yeah. More content like this. Yeah. Next, it's going to be uh, <laughs> Shakira and uh, Lino Messi. No, I need, I need, I need to hear from Jamie. and I need to hear from Jamie Vardy himself here. <laughs> Jamie Vardy and Wayne Rooney are the two <laughs> people that are absolutely not going to say anything. I imagine they're both, like, chilling, sipping on some beers, like, hanging out with each other, and, like, yeah, this is not our problem. <laughs> it's our <Yeah>. wives. <laughs> I can see that. But, anyway, we spent an enormous amount of time talking about this crisis but we have actually a lot of crises to get to but before we even start i do want to shout out one of my uh, best friends in the world uh chia thank you for uh getting me a new microphone actually so this microphone is one of the state-of-the-art quote-unquote microphones in the business and uh i don't know how much she spent on it but i absolutely want to shout her out it was an incredible gift uh, and i'm going to start using it all the time now so thank you for that but on another note we're going to get to the games in england starting off this weekend um Damn, yeah, we have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> we have a lot of thoughts on these. Let's let's start off in Manchester. Why don't we? Let's start off with uh, the team that we picked to, at least I picked to finish six and do very well this season. Yeah, uh, well, let's start in, yeah, man, you talk about Manchester City here. Yeah, I'm, ta- I'm talking about... You didn't about, pick them to finish six? No, I picked Wolves to finish six. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, true. don't take that's words true. out of my that's mouth. True. I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, so I picked Wolves to finish six, and they, uh, they went to the Etihad, and... Uh, they uh they did city dirty. <laughs> they really yeah. So I didn't I unfortunately I, this game was going on at the same time as the Chelsea game, so I, I didn't get to watch this much. Um I had to go back and watch myself, but Elias was giving me updates of this during time. So so from someone who watched it live, explain to me what what was happening. What it, it seemed like, at least from what I went and rewatched once again, City had the chances and didn't finish a lot of them. But Classic. at the same time, it, they didn't create um, an overwhelming majority of chances in this game. And it's not; it wasn't like in the past. It wasn't say like their um, like uh, when they played against like Tottenham and they created like ninety eight percent of the chances and and just couldn't finish them. If you look at the, the expected goals on this game. They actually were just barely. In terms of chance creation, they were just barely better than than uh, Wolves. It was one point six two in terms for Man City, one point one nine to Wolves. So at that point, the game is more or less fifty fifty on just yeah. can you finish your chances? <laughs> wow, I wonder what the answer to that question is. <laughs> no, you're you're exactly right. I would I would argue that the one positive from this game for City is that the chances that they had, they looked like they were 
actively going to put away at some point. Like they like it wasn't one of those things where I was like, okay, it's gonna be one of those games they don't actually put away their chances, and well, they end up losing. Which it, at the end of the day it was, but the positive is that it was wild saves, hitting the bar on a David Silva incredible free kick, like just unfortunate events more so than bad. I guess finishing or, or lack of you know being clinical um, is what did it to them, and I, I think they had their chances and they just weren't able to actually put it over the line more so than not being able to create those chances. And so when you look at the Wolves' chances, I think they were better chances because they were you know breaks, they were counters, they were pretty much one on one or two on one opportunities. And both of those times, Adama Traore was able to, to put it away because he has a speed and pace to get past whatever's left of the city defense. And he got around Ederson and he, he slotted it home like a, like a true striker's finish. And so that was the difference at the end of the day. They weren't able to keep up with them for when City weren't able to keep up with them with the full 90 minutes defensively. And at the end of the day, they didn't take their chances. And that was the result. All right, you have to give a lot of credit to Wolves in the way they set up. Again, I mean, we, we yeah. know we. I mean, we both talk about how good of a manager we believe Nuno is. And again, it, this is I think something that City's had or Pep himself has had a little bit of trouble in the past with dealing with these three man three man back lines or three yeah. three when teams play three at the back, right? right and stuff, and, and they set up those wing those uh, wing backs and. Those seem to have just, I mean, that's something that seems to be a bit of an Achilles heel for uh, a Guardiola team. You saw two years ago, Chelsea went there and won in context for a season when they went and they played three at the back. And it was yeah. very similar, a very similar game in which City dominated possession, but got hit very easily on the counters because of the wingbacks and just being able to break very quickly um, is something that they have trouble with. Yeah. Um, the insane thing in the Norwich game that most of those goals were, or two of those goals were just straight counters. Um, so, I mean, that's something that has to do with obviously the one on one defending that yeah. is just almost non existent from Otamendi. <laughs> like, <laughs> you could have ended at defending, honestly. Like, yeah. <laughs> right, right. And with all of that, with all of us knowing that there's going to be some problems for City defensively with, um, with Laporte being out. For the foreseeable future, you know this team still—they didn't create enough chances in this game, enough quality chances in this game. Obviously, they had a lot of shots, a lot of possession, whatnot, but they didn't create enough quality chances. And so, another game without De Bruyne this season, where they seem to have trouble. In the Norwich game, they didn't start De Bruyne. Mm-hmm. And they had trouble creating chances until he came on the last like fifteen twenty minutes. Yeah. Right. So the question is like this team dominated last season. Granted, they only won the league by one point, but ninety eight points they dominated the league. That's a, that's absurd. They dominated the league. Yeah. In which a season that De Bruyne played maybe a quarter of it. They won four. They won the last fourteen games, and De Bruyne did not play in any of them. Right. Right. So. I'm asking what happened to that team that now they cannot dominate a, a game in terms of chances without him in the lineup. They're, they're very reliant on him now. They're at o- home almost too. overly yeah, at home especially too. Um, just look this 
De Bruyne's expected assists for the season, he's at 5.65, which is fantastic individually for anyone. The team as a whole, the rest of the midfielders in Man City is have 5.02. So he's <laughs> unbelievably reliable. They're, they're, they're relying on him <laughs> a lot. In literally and, and every it's, way. And it's, not, and it's not even necessarily like they're just, oh, pass the ball to him and see what happens. That's, yeah. not, how, that's not how the team is. But, no, but no. he is just creating. He is the best creator on the team by far. Yeah. And it seems like no one else is creating the same types of chances as him or even something close Right, it's it's a bit more individual. Well, obviously he's individual, but but it's in terms of effectiveness, he's the most effective. Yeah, and, and when he's not in the lineup, that's what they're having trouble finding creativity in their midfield because because Gundogan is not the same type of player that, that you shouldn't you shouldn't expect him to be be that way. But in this game, the person with the most key passes was Rodri. <laughs> they're they're holding yeah, midfielder. Yeah, that, that's not. That's not how this team is supposed to be set up to, <laughs> to succeed, right? That's, no, a, that's no. a good thing if it happens like just in the flow yeah. of everything. But you know, in a game where they're looking to score, where they where the whole time they're chasing to score a goal, you know, their their defensive midfield, their holding mid is not the person that should be you should lead the team in expected assists in the game. Jao Cancelo was second in this game with in his terms of expected assists. Yeah, right. That that's that's not what you should be. That's not. A winning formula. No, no, not at all. And we kind of saw how Rodri had to be that person in the, not the De Bruyne role, but he mm-hmm. had to do essentially the job from his position, which is very, very difficult. Um, you saw that last week in their Champions League game, right? And he was instrumental in bombing forward, but that's not, like, he's out of position if you, if you put him there, and that's not what he's supposed to do. And so... I do want to give a little bit of credit to, to to Wolves here and to Nuno specifically. I think this game, from being the cagey, like, oh, are Man City finally going to slot one in uh, type, you know, end to the game, to when Wolves really exploded at the end, I think the, the tactical awareness from Nuno to take Adama and put him from, or take him from the wing-back position that he was in the, the, the five, to put him pretty much at the striker's position... Or it was, yeah, it was essentially like almost like a 10-9 hybrid. Like almost, not even like a false nine, but he was he was up there. And he moved in there. And it was a direct change in tactics from let's see if we can play out of the back here to go straight route one. And when they did that, they were in and behind City like multiple times outside of just those two goals. But... It was that ability to say, okay, this is the right time to do that on Nuno's end that I thought put Wolves, in this case, head and shoulders above other people. And so I think that was a very, very smart decision on his end and ultimately what what got him the win. Yeah, and that's the most damning thing, I think, too, on on the City side is those goals more or less came straight through the middle of the park. Right. What Otamendi is doing on that, on uh, the first goal, going down, diving at... Jimenez when he's about 45 <laughs> yards from goal and Jimenez just, just easily gets past yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I don't... I mean, it's... Watching with Argentina is, like, also the same thing. Like, you get, like, David Luiz as card attacks, like, trying to watch that. It's terrible. It's tough. I, I mean, well, I'm still... I'm still somewhat bullish on the scene because... I, because I still think that when De Bruyne is in the lineup, they're still the best team, and and there's 30 games left in the season, so you know, 
who could have ever <laughs> thought that uh, <laughs> Liverpool would come in and win the first eight games of the season? That's not so. Happen. Well, then, do you think that like this lead is or this gap is not? Uh, City won't be able to close this gap. Like, I I I think it's not time to get completely worried yet. I my barometer of when I think that a team more or less cannot catch another team it is, is a gap of 10 points. If the lead ever gets to 10 points, then then I think then I think fundamentally it just shows you're not you're not good enough to you're not going to be good enough to um, make up a 10 point difference on a team. Like you're not going to you're not good enough to secure like 12 more points than the other team right, over right. the course of like 20 games because the whole reason you got down ten points, yeah, 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 yeah. That 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 itself is enough to show that you're not good enough to to surpass the team. Right. And so we haven't gotten to the point yet. I, I haven't gotten to the point yet where I think they're out of it. I think eight points is, I think eight points is a lot, obviously. But we're only eight games into the season, and we haven't even gotten to the holiday yeah. season yet. So that, that's always the business end. Uh, that that is a very variable time for the table. Right, because then you're playing three games in seven days, um, and then, and you have all the league games. So for England, I would hold off on on the celebrations from Liverpool fans quite yet. This is obviously this is obviously the perfect way that the season could have started. Yeah, um, winning all eight or games, um, and obviously City dropping points against teams that they really shouldn't be, especially at home, um, but. I don't think the lead's insurmountable yet. I don't. I don't think we're at that point yet. Um, I, I still want to see where they are in mid-January or around the time when Laporte comes back, because I think if they can keep it within uh, around seven points, around seven to five, if they can like get it down. Gap, they yeah. can get it down to seven or five points at area um, by the time Laporte comes back. I think they're they're they'll feel lucky in some sense. Yeah, I mean, the, the league is in Liverpool's hands. That, yeah. That's not a question, right? Mm-hmm. But I think it's important to remember that they still need to play each other twice. Mm-hmm. So that's six points up for grabs right there, potentially for City. And Liverpool aren't going to go the season undefeated. Right. That's not going to happen. Like The Invincibles has only ever happened once, and that was ridiculous. Um, and I don't expect that to happen again. So they will drop points. The problem is that City have allowed themselves to, to fall into this hole where they can't drop any more points now right. moving forward. They have to actually pick up essentially all their points right. um, for the rest of the season at risk of Liverpool possibly doing something similar. So, and at the time, they've only played one of the top six teams. Exactly. That's the, that's act that might be the most yeah. <laughs> the most concerning thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, the next couple of opponents in Crystal Palace and Southampton, um, well... Wolves playing Southampton and City playing Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace, Palace not easy. That it's won't be it's easy not. I, I was going to say like this is the same team that beat United. Granted, obviously there's a difference in quality by a lot, but it's a team that also has the same kind of idea as Nuno in going route one and very direct and and playing through the middle. Um, and I'm sure that Zaha will have something to say about <laughs> that City back line. Yeah. Um, and so it's not going to be easy for them to to keep out goals, in, in my opinion. And as we saw this past weekend, I don't know if they'll be able to put them in either. So it, I think it's a game that they have an opportunity to make a statement, kind of like they did in the Watford game, but they need to keep up with their consistency. They can't just fall back after that. 
Yeah, they have to find a way to create chances with De Bruyne not on the field and not just through him, pretty much. Right, right, exactly. So we'll see what happens next weekend um, with City and Crystal Palace, as well as Wolves home to Southampton. But we'll go ahead and move on to the Liverpool-Leicester game from last weekend, which... Liverpool really squeaked out this win. This is this is the definition of a team not playing the great football at all and still managing to get away with three points. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. Um, you know, a better performance from them than in the last few weeks, I think. Um, but once again, needed some luck at the end. Yeah, I, I mean, it, not not to say that it wasn't a foul because I think it was a foul. I personally believe it was a foul. I think it can be both a dive and a foul. To be honest, what I, I think it can be both. I think it can be both. I think there was contact for sure. You look at the replay; oh, yeah, there yes, absolutely yeah. was contact. And at the same time, he could have completely embellished how much contact there was. Okay, right? so it wasn't. Okay, I get, I get what you're saying. It's not. It's not like, like a he dove. dove. He dove like, after he, getting yeah. after getting stepped on. Right. There right. was a bit of a delay, but he, he, but yeah, it was he, a foul. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. a foul. To be fair, and, and I also think that if if it wasn't called a foul, then it should have. Then I think no matter what the call was, yeah. I thought I thought that it should have stayed what the call was on the field because I, I didn't think that was an instance <laughs> where we needed to rewrite. Is this is this just your way of saying uh, I don't like VAR? No, <laughs> is this just like a twisted way of going back? No, on it? no, no. I think I think the, that VAR worked would have worked well even if you didn't call the foul because. It should be clear and obvious, and I don't think that was a clear and obvious mistake yeah, by the yeah. referee, basically. And I, and I think if he didn't call a foul, it wouldn't have been a clear and obvious mistake either. So I think I, that might be the most... I'm hoping... I think, I think that's a very fair assessment, and yeah. probably the fairest assessment you've, you've had on VAR. I think... Well, I, my, I have faith... I have, my faith is that they would not have overturned it if he said it wasn't a foul. But, yeah, but like I said, yeah. a, better, a better performance. Um, I thought they were very good. I thought that Liverpool were very good in the second half. Um, I thought mm. the first half, Leicester did what I think other teams have been doing, like like we talked about, where they cut off a lot of the service to Firmino. They were closing down Liverpool's um, fullbacks pretty hard. And first half, for most of the first half, up until basically the Mane goal, yeah. um, they were containing them fairly well. The, the problem was that I think Leicester was not offering much in terms of attacking on their end. Um, so that that's what hurt them, I think, especially in the first half, at least. And, and then you have the first the first goal, which is just a moment of, of quality of, of great of just Milner plays a fantastic ball in behind to Mane, and Mane slots it away because. And I think there's I think there's an argument to be made that I think Mane's been the best of those three, uh, probably since. The calendar year since since you know, since twenty nineteen. I, I, I don't think, even think that's I think he, I think he's been I think he's been better than Salah. I think he's been their yeah. their most important attacker for sure. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, this is the perfect yeah. game to showcase. Yeah, too. exactly. Um, right. So, I think uh, a good performance from Liverpool. We're still just seeing them find ways to win games, which is. I'm sure uh, it's, it's disgust, a team. disgusting That's... to everyone else, <laughs> but but but, um, but yeah, it's it's the mark of a very good team. They're finding ways to uh, pull out these results, and uh, a really good game from Milner, uh, getting a goal and assist, uh, obviously scoring the penalty, looking very cool while doing it, um, as he usually does. I, I don't know. I, I don't have much else to say. Um, obviously, Lester came back into it, scoring. 
that was after that was pretty much against the run of play. I was after Liverpool really should have put the game away. Um, but you know, another good performance from Lesser for the most part. I think the, the talent level is just not at the same. They're just they're not at the level of of a City or, or Liverpool. So you couldn't expect. I wouldn't have expected them to win that game. I, I thought they had a good chance of of getting a getting point out, out of it, something. and they almost did. Um, but yeah, no, they, they're still they're still going to be a team that. While I don't believe they're at, that they actually will end up challenging for top four, um, I mean maybe they'll be in and around it, but I don't think they'll legitimately challenge for top four. They could be the new like sixth place team, but they could, but they could finish sixth. They could, they could honestly finish. They if Tottenham doesn't figure themselves out, they could finish fifth. Yeah, even yeah. you know, um, so you know, good stuff from them. Good stuff from Liverpool. Um, yeah, they just keep they keep moving along and and. As long as they're finding ways to win without playing very well, um, they'll they'll probably continue to do that too. It reminds yeah. me of Real Madrid when they yeah. won the Champions yeah. League. Yeah, they didn't play well in the league, but they stepped up when they needed to. So, but yeah, um, Liverpool play United next in the in the derby. Away to United, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. going to be um, a massive Liverpool win. So <laughs> I'm just going to write that in. I mean, now. See, I mean, in all honesty, if, if they, I'm expecting. I guess I expected Arsenal to batter United, but I'm expecting Liverpool to actually embarrass this United <laughs> team. Like, I mean, I, if they can, if they don't beat this United team by at least two goals and look very comfortable with it, I would be a little worried. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little I mean, seriously, I would be a little worried. I would, I would be confused more than worried. They'll. If anyone thinks that Liverpool is not going to win this game, I don't care that it's at Old Trafford against this United side. They're genuinely kidding themselves. And I cannot wait to get proven wrong when United squeak out like a 1-1 or 1-0 win at Old Trafford. And the whole season changes. And like It would be a bigger upset than Norwich beating City, City? if United are even able to get a point from this game. <laughs> Yeah, so we don't really have high hopes for United um, at all for the rest of the season. Like we said at the beginning of the season, our preseason uh, recap. So with that, we'll go ahead and move on to another trash team right now. Um, And I'm not talking about Brighton. I'm not. I'm talking about Tottenham. Yeah, so we said last week that if along the lines, essentially, if they don't win their next game, that they're going to start entering a crisis. So... Are they in a crisis? We are here. No, it, we are. We are absolutely here. This was. I mean, to follow up losing seven two to Bayern, they followed up with a worse performance <laughs> against a team that was sitting in relegation zone. I, <laughs> so, we've talked about this before. So Tottenham. Form from the last from the beginning of 2019 has been relegation form. They haven't won their last eight. I believe it was the last eight away matches. Yeah, they they have failed to win. They were <laughs> their expected goal from this game: Tottenham 0.48, Brighton 2.6. They were oh dominated God. in this game completely. It was. It was baffling to watch, and I watched this entire game, and the whole time I'm like, "What the hell is happening?" There's no pressure on Brighton whatsoever. You know, you have to give Brighton credit because they played very well, but Tottenham got nowhere close to them the entire game. There was no pressure on the midfield. It was 
once again, like we talked about what Bayern did, Brian did the exact same thing, attacked the wings. The the defending on the wings for Tottenham I mean, I don't know. What to, I don't know what to talk, say about it anymore. To be honest, it's just non-existent. There's no pressure. There's horrible one-on-one defending. No one's stopping any crosses. It's it's honestly depressing to watch this team. <laughs> I mean, if I'm being completely honest, it's very depressing to watch this team. And I don't know what to say about them anymore because we know, like like we like we've talked about, it's nothing to do with the talent level. These players are good enough to go to Brighton and win. <laughs> like, they're good enough to go to Brighton and get a result. They're good enough to go to Brighton and not be dominated in terms of chances, to not to <laughs> have more than three shots inside the 18. They're, they're better than this. They're better than this, right? Uh, we know this. And it's just really disappointing to, to see where this team has gone. And... And now we have now that we're at this moment that we're comfortable enough to call this a, a, an absolute crisis for the for the squad and and the manager and maybe maybe the executive level too. Whose shoulders the brunt of, of blame for what's happened to this club for the last eight months? Dude, I, I said it in the in the last pod when we were talking about the Champions League um, and the Bayern game. I think this falls on Pochettino. Like, you can point to Levy and say, but he hasn't made this signing, that signing. Pochettino got everyone he wanted this summer. He got his first and second choice signings. Like, he got everyone that he requested himself specifically. And if Pochettino himself is not able to rally the squad, the, the one of his major responsibilities is doing that. And if he can't do that, then he's not fit to stay in that role at Tottenham. I think I want to preface this, or not even preface this, I guess, is after the fact, but he is an incredible manager. We all know that he can put together an incredible squad. He can go on runs. He's He's been successful, and he knows what he's doing. But right now, I think that window and, and his time at Spurs is closing because of the fact that he's he's hit the top level. Like, he can't push this squad anymore because they've, they've peaked already. They made it to the Champions League final last year, and after that, like... Obviously, they didn't win, but like, how often are you going to get the opportunity to do that anyway? Right. So, at, at this point, like, it for me, it falls on Pochettino. I think this is this whole responsibility is on him because he's managing the squad, and if he's not successfully managing the squad, something needs to be done about that. No, that's a good point, and uh, a good point too that that I that I don't think that we've brought up, and I did not have not thought about very much. Um, no, so last night I was speaking with my godfather's wife. Her name's Marianne, a lovely Irish woman who's a, who's a Tottenham fan, a massive Tottenham fan. And she brought up a couple interesting things that I hadn't really um, thought about with this team. She thinks that this goes back to the Champions League final and Pochettino bringing, rushing Kane back to start in that game, right? And choosing him over... Um, over the guys who, yeah, Lucas Moore like and the guys Moore, that yeah. brought them to that point. And, and she believes that, to some extent, that, that the players were not quite happy about that. You know, because... You kind of feel like used goods at that point. You're right. like, as soon as, as soon as this other guy's back, we're going like, to get you right. to you, yeah. Right, right. And, and, and maybe it messed up the chemistry a bit. You know, the fact that 
he had like the knit group, the same players who were playing in the semis and stuff, and and that got the and they had gone through the uh, city tie and and through the IX tie all together, and then as soon as Kane's back, you know, it messes it may or may not have messed up the chemistry of the team, right? Um, so that was one point you brought up, which I can totally sympathize with. I I still believe that the form was so bad in terms of the league and stuff going back before that, that that, that wasn't enough. But an even better point that I think she brought was the fact that, you know, Tottenham probably have more international players now than in their past, you know, for these last, like, four to five years. And she said, especially on the England team, right, where they, for the last few years, they've supplied, like, five or six players to the England national team, right? And so he has the same players going off to international breaks and stuff. You would but think that same, would help chemistry. Right. But but what she's saying is more of with that and adding in the Champions League, playing in four competitions a season, one of the other things that we know about Pochettino is that his training is very, very intense. Yeah. And, she, and he hasn't changed the intensity of the training. And so... That's another thing in terms of like where we're talking about he stretched the team to the maybe their high their max potential, but at the same time he hasn't adapted how he manages the team, how he manages them week to week, day to day, um, and greater part of that is obviously that the squad's not big enough, right? In terms of in terms of depth, depth, right? Mm-hmm. But um, but you know he hasn't changed how he manages them week to week, and. That's something that could be also just making them fully exhausted when they come back from a national break and they're just they're just spent now and and now that you're talking about players who might be a little jaded with the same training routines, same coaches for the last six years. Um, one of the things that I saw on last weekend's match of the day where they basically compared they were comparing um, Tottenham to City and Liverpool just in the, just in the sense of the squads, the, the rosters for the past six years. Right. So six years ago, you go from 2014, 2014-15, wow. right, yeah. to now, Tottenham have seven players still on the roster from that team, whereas City and Liverpool have about three, I think. I think each of them had three players that were yeah, still yeah, yeah. in the starting, I think it was the starting 11, yeah. right? So that's that's not how modern football works. Yeah, it's just yeah. not how it works anymore. Um there has to be some sort of freshening up. Mm. You know, even Sir Alex Ferguson, every four years, he would he would get a new assistant coach. You know, that was, that yeah, was his that's, way of yeah. freshening yeah, yeah, up, yeah. you know, so that things aren't stale. Right. And that has not happened here. And, and now we're just, we're coming to the breaking point. This is, this is the breaking point yeah. of it all. And now we're at the point where now we're hearing rumors that Tottenham want to sell off five players in January. That's hilarious. Which, <laughs> and one of them include, would be Eric. Yeah, of course. I mean, well, you want to get money for him before right. he goes on free. Right. And, and I mean, I'll say if if they sell off them selling off five players, or even if they sell off Ericsson, them selling off some some players in January would basically be a concession that you're not you're not making top four. You don't make wholesale changes in the middle of the season and. 
yeah. and find a way to finish in the top four. Like, yeah. that, that would be an absolute concession that this season is just gone. Which is crazy to think because we all had them in the third position spot at the beginning of the season. They're the third most talented team in the yeah, league. exactly, exactly. I mean, maybe not now if they sell off all these right. players. I don't think they'll actually be able to sell off as many players as is rumored. But, I mean, come on. Like, this team we picked to essentially be in the second tier behind City and Liverpool. And to see how far they've fallen in the last eight weeks compared to where they were, you know, the end of the season last year is just a shocking gap. The cracks were there. The cracks were there last season. Yeah, this has been the last eight months. Yeah, it it was 100% there. But now you see what's happened when they don't actually get that success. It blows up in their face. And all the, the things that happened at the end of the last season papered over those cracks. And now, like you said, this is the breaking point. So next weekend, when they, they're at home to Watford, a team that got battered by City, you would expect them to at least pull out a win there. But honestly, I, don't, I just don't know what to expect. You don't know. Yeah, you don't I, know I just anymore. don't know. You don't know. You, you would have expected the response to come away to Brighton, but yeah. the response was not there. That was, that was what's really um, the most concerning thing, I think, is that you didn't get the response that most teams... Have and and stuff too because unlike in past teams that have somewhat collapsed and and, and granted I can only go off of Chelsea which which more or less happens the season after they win the title <laughs> every time but you don't even have like something to fall back on to be able to be like all right we can get through this because we won something right. like right and. Obviously, winning trophies isn't everything, but when you're in tough times like this, you have to have something to fall back on to get you through it and be like, I know that we're better. I know that we can raise our level here. Um, and that's not necessarily something that they have. So No, they don't. They don't. I, I, I don't know what to expect from them the rest of the season. I'm very interested to see if Pochettino sticks around until the end of the season. Because I think right now, if I had to answer that question, I'd say no, I don't think he sticks around. I don't know when he leaves, but I don't think he makes it to the end of the season, whether it's because he's let go or because he wants to move on to newer pastures. And I think it's probably going to be that latter point. But we'll see what happens. There's a report, I don't know if you saw it, that the Leon president reached out to Jose Mourinho about bringing him on board. Yeah, and he said no, he's already already got another team, essentially. Um, So could that team be... Spurs? Could it be United? Could it be another? <laughs> Man, I would love if it was United. That would be no. He would never. That he would, would be never. that would be the the greatest timeline. Like, oh my gosh! If he went back to United, I think I think United has actually stopped going to the matches. If he went, back. <laughs> if all, and all, honestly, I think they would actually just boycott the club. Um, no, uh, but yeah. the owners don't care about the fans. So. Yeah, the, 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 the title thing would be weird. I. Uh, I don't think that Mourinho. I don't think that that he'll be that Mourinho will be the Tottenham manager because I just don't think Jose Mourinho would ever take the Tottenham job. If I'm being completely honest, um, I, I don't think he would take that that job. I w- if he had not taken the United job, I would have said I agree with you. But the fact that he went into United side that he knew was that broken and he still took the job. But it's still Manchester United at the end of the day. Yeah, but it's still Spurs. They still have a talented squad. No, no, but I mean, I'm not even talking about the town. I'm the. It's still Manchester United, the brand. Oh, brand oh, Manchester oh, I see, United. I see. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. About how much money they have, and like he yeah. knows going in there that, or well, he thought going in there that he'd be <laughs> able to get his 
own play, right, get players, right. and, and they, they'd spend the money. They wouldn't be afraid to spend the money, where yeah. you know that's not going to be the case at Tottenham. Yeah. And also, you know, just to, like, to be completely fair, Tottenham basically at the same level of, like, a Porto team that, in terms of prestige and stuff, yeah. honestly, lower. I mean, in all honesty. And talking about on a European scale, you know that <laughs> Porto is 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 actually a bigger club than Tottenham. Yes, I know, but the <laughs> way you phrased it is hilarious, and that's not going to be the new title of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they are, Porto like, Greater Spurs. That's, yeah, they, that's they, all we're going to put. They are, and he he hasn't been at a club as small as Porto since since that. Time. Yeah, like you talk. You look at all the, the stepping stones that he's taken in his career. Is he ready to go backwards to? But I, I don't think he is. And also, I would be extremely surprised if Daniel Levy was was uh, willing to pay Jose Mourinho the salary that it takes to have Jose Mourinho as true. the manager. Very true. We'll see what happens with him as well. But there is another team with a new manager that has finally shown a little bit of success um, the last couple of weeks. Mr. Lampard, you finally got a win. Well, I guess it is four wins but in a row, but... You're, you're, he's on a consistent path yes. of winning instead of Second playing wins. well Consecutive and not wins getting results. In the league. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I am usually. I, I think it's fair that I'm pretty critical of the Chelsea team most of the time. I'm, I'm not. I'm, I would like to think I'm a pretty realist. We came before the season started. I didn't think they finished top four. I, I wasn't. I'm not. Uh, I'm not like our friend Jay, where I go into the season <laughs> thinking that Arsenal are going to win the league. Thinking that Arsenal has a chance to win the league every season. <laughs> that's just blatantly that that is not. This is not. So this is not a rational way to live. But but, um, uh. but I came into this season. I told you that I didn't think the team would, was very good. I didn't think the team was very good last season either. Um, and somehow they finished third. Um, but but no, the, this team has legitimately. Been one of the best teams in the league since for the last four weeks, for the last five weeks, for the last five weeks. Okay, just on pure form, on just form, they've been one of the best teams in the league. And sure, I see the face you're making, but I have all I have the numbers yeah, yeah, back this me, up. Convince I have me. numbers to back this up. So you're looking at second in terms of points in terms of the last. Wait, wait, quarters. but you said first best in the league. No, no, I said one of the best. One of the best. Uh, not, not the best. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah, go back on it. Sure. No, I didn't say the best mm. team. I said I didn't. I, I whatever. You well, when back, when you go back, <laughs> when you go back and edit this, you can listen to me say <laughs> one of the best teams. Okay, continue. Um, but no, they're second in terms of points picked up. Second in expected points. Second in expected goals. Third in expected goals allowed, and third in non-penalty expected goal difference. Right, the, the defending has been better in the last five weeks. It's it, a, it, I'm it actually surprised. Absolutely, yeah. that is. You actually, if you look at the numbers, if I mean, obviously, not everyone watches the whole ninety minutes as me and other Chelsea fans do, but we would all agree the defense has been better. We know, we know what the. Achilles' heel of the team is the <laughs> set pieces. We know this. We know yeah, this. yeah. But but from open play, they have the third best expected goal difference in the league. From open play, they they are hands down one of the four best teams. They've been one of the four best teams, right? Um, on top of that, they're second second in shots per game. Second second in shots on target per game. The attacking has been 
great. They're they're like I said, they're understanding how he wants them to play, and I think it's becoming more of a complete team. The more that they play together, um, especially defensively, I think the more they play together, the more they'll understand and the more they'll be able to figure this out. Like, will they ever figure out how to zonal mark? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> but but, um, but legitimately, this team has been very good the last five weeks. And I know that you can easily just look at the numbers and, and yes, they've still allowed 14 goals through eight games, but four of those were against United, right? Which... Okay, yeah, which, I'll, I'll give you that. The I'll more, that. the more, uh, with every waking moment, that, that <laughs> game looks worse and worse. That, that score line looks worse and worse. Um, even though we both agreed that Florida was, was probably not a it fair scoreline. Yeah. But, but it looks worse and worse. Um, outside of that, they, you know, they've gotten better and better. And they're only going, in my, in my opinion, which, granted, biased opinion... Um, they're only going to get better and better because they have people coming back from injuries. You still have Rudiger yeah. to come back, who's the best defender on this on this team. Um, you still have Ruben Loftus-Cheek to come back, who many Chelsea fans would probably would say that he was arguably the third, second, or third best player during the second half of last season uh, before he get before he injured his Achilles. Um, he will get back to training within the next couple weeks, and hopefully he'll be back by maybe the end of November, mid November, uh, mid to end of mid to end of November yeah. would be it would be um, I, I think do. optimistic. Um, but no, I mean, obviously, a huge disclaimer: this Southampton haven't won a game at home this season, so so obviously, like getting a win here isn't necessarily the the. Um, the standard, yeah, it's not. It's not necessarily something to be oh, like super excited about. It's the way that they played, the way that they that they dominated this game, um, and put it away before the end of the first half. They were up three one by the end of the first half, and and um, I don't know. I I, I I still feel very. I feel better about this team now than I did. Um, <laughs> coming into the season, uh, yeah, definitely yeah, yeah. after the first day game. Well, um, so. If if they are one of the best teams in England and you're happy with their performances, you pick this team to not make top six or top four, I should say. And we're seeing that they have the quality maybe to actually do that, even against possibly like the top sides. So so do you expect like do you expect them to make top four now? Has your expectation from the beginning of the season changed? My uh, it has uh, it has. Not only because that which would mean it would mean you would be disappointed if you did not see them hit a certain metric, right? It not only because um, they're playing better than I would have expected them to play this early into the season, but because of what's happening around the other teams, right? I, mean, I most definitely would have expected Spurs to be a better team right now than they were, and and that's. And, and they have no easy road to getting back to the team that we expect them to be, right? Yeah. Um, United are worse than I expected them to be. You, know, I mean, you, you obviously did not think they were going to finish top six anyway, so maybe this is right around what you expected from United. But United are worse than I expected them to right, be. Right, right. Um, and Arsenal's in third. Like they're, they're around what I expected them to be right now. So, so I, I think there's room for... 
for those two teams to finish third and fourth, um, if you know, obviously, if Tottenham are not able to figure figure things out, so yeah, I, I think my expectations have changed. I think this team, whereas before the season I didn't think they were good enough to finish in the top four, I now believe this team is good enough. The quality, the the young players are better than I expected them to be, or at least have adapted quicker than I expected them to, um, and. To your to your point of whether I'd be disappointed now if they don't finish top four, I I, I don't want to say not massively disappointed um, because they are still very young and the core of the team is for the most part still quite young, but the way that they've integrated with the experienced players, like I mean, as I give them a lot of shit, but William has legitimately been very good the last three last three or four weeks. He has been. He has. He has been. He has been much better the last three or four weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've no. never. No, ever he's, thought he's been I would better. Hear that come out of your mouth. He's been better the last the last three or so weeks. I, this is what I'm saying. I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I'd like to think I'm pretty objective. Okay. Uh, I'm okay. Pretty, I, I. For the most part, I'm an object, pretty objective person. I will shit on him when he's when he's bad. So ninety percent of the time. So. So. <laughs> but. But. He's been better, and I, and I think a lot of that has to do too with the obvious competition now. Because last season he was getting started no matter what; it was like yeah, no matter yeah, what yeah. he was going to get the start. Um, so I think the obvious competition that there is now, especially with Hudson Odoi coming back, um, we obviously saw Pulisic come in at the end today at that game and, and get an assist to get and play well, which was great. And it's good to see that his mentality through all of this has been what you know what we would have hoped is that. He's like, I'm just gonna get on with it. I can't. There's nothing I can. I can't make other people play badly. <laughs> like, yeah, I can't, yeah, I can't yeah. make guys play badly to get me in. You know, I yeah. can. I can only control what I control and just play well when I come on and impress. And he did that at the end of the Southampton game, getting a nice yeah. assist to Batshuayi. So um, now the team is is starting to click a little bit, uh, click more and more, and you know they're they're only gonna get. Better. Um, you can only hope that people stay healthy, and the team is able to um, push on. And, and there's more. There's more depth in this team than I thought. Than I than I expected before the season. Yeah. Much, so. No, I think that's a very fair assess- assessment. Um, I, I don't necessarily disagree that they've actually been one of the better teams in England in terms of passage of play. Like I, I kind of agree with you, and it's a shame that they hadn't been getting the result prior to these last couple of wins because they, quite frankly quote-unquote deserved it, right? You need to score goals and, and actually have a goal difference that's positive to win a game and, and get three points. So they quote-unquote deserved it. But I do think that they're capable of making top six for sure. Um, top four, I think, is going to be a stretch because you have to look at who else could be in the top four. And I think right now it's the two big teams in City and Liverpool, obviously. Um, I think it's going to be Arsenal, potentially. Um, and then that fourth spot could be up for grabs a little bit. So that's where things get a little a little interesting and I think where they could they could potentially make their mark. Um, but I think that mm, not United <laughs> and maybe not Spurs, but Leicester or maybe any other mid-table team by the time we get to the holidays might have something to say about that. Right. I mean, but I I I think I think honestly that the Gap between Chelsea and Arsenal is, is actually much closer than maybe you're, maybe you. You mean gap in quality? Yeah, 
In, in, no, not no, not even necessarily quality, I suppose. But no, yeah, actually, I would say quality because I, I would, I would actually, I would actually attest that I don't feel like I'm being too homerish to say that I would take Chelsea's midfield over Arsenal's. I, I think you are, but I get why you're saying that. Because because Granit Xhaka is in that other midfield. Yeah, I know. That's, that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking one for one for one, and I, would, could you definitively tell me that Arsenal's backline is better than Chelsea's? I can't say Arsenal's backline is better than anyone's right now. Right. So so obviously the only the the place obviously the attacking is much different because Chelsea don't have an Aubameyang. But right. But um. But I think those teams are actually very. Equal at all. I think those are very equal teams in terms of in terms of their flaws and so. And I would I would love strengths. to have Jay on right now <laughs> to have him hear that and be able I mean, to respond. I, in all honesty, you you cannot tell me that they're a better defending team. You can't. No, no, I don't think anyone I, would argue. I, that. I, I, know, I, know like that they, I know that they got a clean sheet against Bournemouth, and for <laughs> anyone who actually watched that game, they were quite lucky to have a clean sheet. Yeah, in that, yeah, yeah. Right, and. and I can give it all underlying numbers too. That is not very favorable to their to their defending, even though they have allowed fewer goals. Um, yeah. Okay. I don't necessarily agree with you there, but I get again. I get all the I'm point. I think those teams are, are very equal. I, I don't. I'm not saying that Chelsea's a better team than Arsenal. I'm just saying right, I think they're right. very equal. But the gap is very, smaller than people would think. Yeah, I think the gap is very small. I think I think the only advantage you would give to them is their is their attacking is their quality and attack yeah, in terms yeah. of having Lacazette and Aubameyang. Interesting. Okay. Well, there is a team that we haven't talked about that has no quality whatsoever, <laughs> and we don't even really need to talk about this for too long, but yeah. United and Newcastle. United, of course, losing to Newcastle away. Um, before this game started, I said in my head, I was like, honestly, I think they might lose this one, and then they did, kind of like the Crystal Palace one. So You can kind of see this coming. Yeah. You're right. You're right. I mean, no one was surprised by this. They went away to Newcastle. Um, and, and I feel like every, like a lot of people watching the game, I'm sure a lot of United fans before that game too, was like, I would not be remotely surprised if we lost this game. A one, especially the scoreline too. One nil. This is, this seemed almost too predictable. Right. Um, I don't know. This is a, this is the new norm. This is the new norm. Like I, we don't, I don't have anything else to say there. You look at the quality in this team. You look at who's starting. You should not be surprised that they went and lost this match. Um, uh, I'm not. I'm. I'm really not. There, there, there's no reason to believe that this team can go away to. Granted, I think we'd also both believe that Newcastle is probably one of the worst teams in the league, right? <laughs> so, so maybe in some sense you'd expect them to go and get a result, but you're not surprised that they went and lost one well, no, and and created very few chances. And um, no, gotta have to, have to give have to give some um, big props to the Longstaff brothers, um, Newcastle. Yeah, so yeah, midfield yeah. Is starting that that's I mean that must have been awesome starting in the midfield next to your brother. <laughs> like that's that's <laughs> must have been just awesome. That and then sweet. score and then the younger one um, scoring Matt uh, Matt Longstaff scoring that it was a great goal too. Um, so you have to give him a lot of credit for that, but. What, I, there's nothing else to say about this team. We we know the qual- we know the the lack of quality in this team, and and he's playing the young he's playing the young players because like, more or less he has no choice um, with some of the injuries. 
but you know the, it's it's a, it's a horrible situation. It's just sad. It's just sad at this point. I really don't even have much more to say. We every week it's the same stuff when we talk about United. Yeah. It's the same stuff about lack of quality. Terrible management. It's showing. It's just showing. And they're not a top six team. They're a mid-table team at best right now. Yeah. And so, I, I, yeah, it's just a shame to see what such a great brand has gone to right now. Um, and Sir Alex Ferguson is absolutely shaking in his boots. Yeah, yeah. So, um, as soon as we touch on, we'll touch on, since we talked about Arsenal a little bit, we'll touch on um, Arsenal winning 1-0 at home to, to uh, Bournemouth. It's five, five straight unbeaten for Arsenal. Um I see their their uh, schedule gets a little more interesting, um, uh, more difficult <laughs> significantly. <laughs> so, uh, so obviously, I think I think the test for I mean, obviously, a lot of these teams is is, is still to come. I mean, Arsenal has to go away to Sheffield, um, which is not going to be an easy game for. I mean, she- I think we've liked what we've seen from overlapping center backs, baby. Yeah, yeah. Um, they they go away to Sheffield and they're home to Crystal Palace and and then they're home to Wolves. So the next the next few that is Sheffield, Crystal Palace home, Wolves home, um, and then oh, away to Leicester. So you know the, the next. I think we'll we'll know. It's a better team's point. Yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Um, they'll they'll get major tests the next four their next four matches coming back from the international break. Um, and we'll have a much better idea of of what this team is, um, but you know you still have to get wins. You still have to get three points, and, yeah. and they're sitting third right now. So all in all, a good start for Arsenal, and and I'm sure they'll be they would have taken this definitely. I think their fans would have taken yeah. this um, eight games in the season and be third. A part of me wonders how much it is that other teams that were expected to be in the top six are, that are not oh, performing yeah, absolutely. versus it's them actually do, yeah. doing well. But yeah. it, I'm not taking anything away from the fact that they've yeah, won the last no. five games. No, 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 for sure. I mean, because they haven't, they haven't been particularly dominating, right? So yeah, to be in yeah. Third. So, so I think I think you make a very good point in terms of how much of it is the other teams, you know, just. Looking at some underlying numbers here, their non-penalty expected goal difference is 0.33, which is right that's, around like yeah. <laughs> that's like a, that's like seven that's like that's seventh in the league. Right, right. right, right. So they're not domi- they're not dominating teams. Um, it's, it's not like a third place form. Yeah, yeah. Say, they just right, have been so. managing to squeak out wins. Yeah, and and all that is because of the quality they have up front. So exactly, and, and that's that is something. That's not something to, to just. Um, wave off, right? That's yeah, not, that's yeah. not luck. Necess- that's not necessarily luck. That's yeah, quality. yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah. You have to give them the credit where it's due. Exactly, exactly. Well, that wraps up our discussion here of the Premier League games from last weekend uh, here on the International Break Pod. But we'll be back in a little bit on the next section. Talk a little bit of La Liga. We got some interesting stuff there too. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back on the pod here talking a little bit of Spanish football in La Liga from this past weekend. We had a couple of pretty big games, um, some not as big, but still very important for the top Spanish sides. But starting off with Valdelid at home to Atletico. Um, Atleti coming out with another tie. Simeone, I thought you were changing things up. I really thought, though, with signing João Felix, 
getting into a more attacking form with the, the two strikers that you have in Felix and Morata. I thought there I expected better view. I expected goals out of this team. Now, Valladolid are a cagey side, and I think that the stats show exactly how cagey this game was. Both teams only had one shot on target. And so it wasn't a very entertaining game. It was played very much in the middle. Um, it was it was very scrappy game. Like that that's how I would describe it. Not there wasn't really much dominance from either team either. But I think the biggest takeaway from this game is that Atletico Madrid on the <clears throat> on the year now are well no longer in first. They're back down to third, and they're up to three ties on the year already. Now you can say the same thing with. I believe Real Madrid are also on three ties uh, this season already as well. But the difference between the two teams is that they have won more games. And so you start to think about whether Atletico, at least for me, are falling back into this mentality of squeaking out the one nils or trying to just play the 80 minutes of a game and then in the last 10 minutes realize that they actually need to push and push before they realize it's actually too late to get three points. And I think that's what we're seeing a little bit of here. And I'm, I'm starting to to worry a little bit about this side and how much they're going to be able to, to push teams going forward. Yeah, I, th- I think that's something to... I think something to be worried about is the chance creation. Dude, they're, they're having... Which, obviously, you don't necessarily expect, like... Great many uh, scoring chances and wonderful football from from the Simeone side, but you know it started Costa and Morata up top again and had Felix out on the wing, um, and they're not creating enough chances. They're not creating enough quality chances right now. Um, that's that's really the gap that they have to bridge to sustain a title challenge for this season because I think we think that they have the quality to be able to. To score goals and and uh, create chances and create chances and while also being solid at the back, which they still are, they're still leading the league in terms of expected goals um, allowed and and still leading the league in terms of goals allowed too. So we know that they're solid in midfield and um, at the back defensively. Still, but still, and they have to just find they have to. They have to find better ways to create chances. They're, yeah, they're, they've only scored seven goals exactly. Season, <laughs> you know that's that's city that's mid table. That's a mid table form of, of, of goal scoring. Um, they're not finishing their chances when they do get them, which which is also damning. Yeah. But at the same time, they're not creating enough chances for that to be something that they can just kind of look past for like for the moment and think that all right, well they're they're going to start going in exactly right. So. Um, they, they they gotta find ways to to be more expansive, attacking wise, and and I don't really expect that he's gonna change much and to become more expansive. It's I guess it's gotta you gotta hope that it's just something that's gonna come with time. With these players playing more together and stuff, but it, it's not something to bank on because it's not historically how um, the side is set up. Right. I mean, yeah, like you you pointed this out perfectly, right? Their midfield, their defensive structures are solid. Actually, I would say their defensive structures are still showing that they're solid. They're still able to defend. Mm-hmm. They're showing the same quality that, that they did when Godin was around. Um, it was interesting. Uh, Simeone gave his thoughts, I forget if it was an interview or a press conference or something this past week, um, where he was asked, you know, 
which player do you think you know hurt you the most in leaving um, this past summer because they obviously had a lot of departures. And he didn't say Griezmann. He didn't say Diogo. He actually said Lucas Hernandez. And I think that's extremely telling because one. I think it's more so along the lines of why Lucas Hernandez left because he left very abruptly. They didn't really expect him to go until Bayern were like, okay, now we're actually going to go for him. And they're like, oh, now we have to negotiate a steal. And, and he kind of left a gaping hole in the in the left side of, of the defense. Um, but at the same time, they have the quality to replace Godin and Griezmann and stuff like that. That's why I don't think he said those those players. So the question now becomes is, can you link all those pieces together? And in midfield, I've seen very individual, strong performances, but I have not seen anything that has made me look at this team and say, their, their midfield core is performing at a top elite level. I think they're good, obviously, but we saw Partey play very well during the Madrid derby. Um, Koke is obviously a quality player. I'd like to see more of, out of Saul and Vitolo, but I haven't seen that as much. And so... When you put all those pieces together in a four-man midfield, which is generally what he's been leaning towards now, it hasn't shown. And, and that's why I'm a little bit more concerned about when they aren't able to get three points against teams like Valladolid, which they're absolutely capable of doing, whether it's home or away. So I'm interested to see how this goes, especially between now and, um, let's say, well, it's what, October like 11th or something. So between now and like the, the next Barcelona game, um, that or the next time that they play Barcelona... Um, which I'm not sure when it is, but I, th- I believe it's next month. Um, and so between now and then, I'm very interested to see what their form is going into to that game. First of December. First, First of December, December. so it's not next month, the early the following month. So I'm very interested to see what will come of that because their form there, I think, could be very, very important. Yeah, no, no you're, I think you're completely right in terms of um, the creativity coming from the midfield. Uh, and like consistent performances in terms of creating chances from the midfield. There's um, the only players that the only players in the midfield that have averaged more than one key pass per ninety is Koke at two point three two, and then Thomas Lamar at one point two three. They're not getting not getting enough support up top from. They can't rely on um, on Joao Felix to do to do be their main creator there. So. While he's a quality player, he's still 19, yeah, right? He, he still has a lot to learn, and, yeah. and you need to give him time. So, still yeah. adjusting to the league and, and the team and, and everything. So, so I, think, I think Simeone has some things he needs to work on. I, no, nowhere near crisis mode. This is not Spurs. No, no, like, no, this no, is nowhere no, near it. But it is just something to, to be aware of. It's, it's just, forward. you know, if they want to make the next step, yeah, you know, which, is, which is what we felt this summer was some sort of... Um, Intent to try to, to say that we want to really challenge those the Barcelona and Madrid um, and, and Real um, with going out and spending 120 million euros on on this um, Star- potentially Starlet. potentially transformational player. So, yeah. so that we we think that's an intent that we want to we want to be up there with them. So exactly, they, they have to make the next step, and and that might mean slightly changing his tactics a bit, or just or um, maybe or hopefully them just gelling. Uh, in a more effective way. Yeah, yeah. So that was the Atletico game from the weekend. Moving on to the, excuse me, the other Madrid-based side in Real, uh, playing Granada at home at the Bernabeu. Um, This was a more dominant performance from Real Madrid. Um, 
I was, well, I was going to say pleased to see them, but I'm not ever pleased to see them win. But I was encouraged, if I was a Real Madrid fan, by the way that they played. Hazard, of course, scoring his very first goal. Um, He didn't, I will say, I think that goal isn't an accurate representation of how the game went for him. I think he was very quiet up until that goal. Um, But it it still kind of goes to show that he's a quality player. Right, he is. He's someone that at any time can pop up and score a goal. He has an extremely fast, uh, actually, he has extremely fast feet, I should say, and can get around any fullback um, in the world, essentially. So, yeah, that that part of the, uh, the game was very positive for Real Madrid. James also netting his first goal uh, since I think it was April of 2017 before he left uh, for his his two year loan uh, at Bayern and came back. Scored also against Granada, which is what his last goal was. So, R.I.P. to Granada when uh, when Hummus is on the field. Um, but th- this game started off very well for Madrid and started to get away from them. So they they got out to a two nil lead and eventually a three nil lead. Um, uh, excuse me, in the second half, and then Granada within about seven or eight minutes scored two very quick goals. And before you knew it, it was 3-2 with, like, maybe 15 minutes left. And normally what I would say, kind of like what we saw in the Club Bruges game, we saw them collapse a little bit. I was like, oh, no, it's going to happen again. This is going to be really, really bad uh, for Madrid. Great for me. Um, But this was the opposite. They pushed through. And I think that was the most encouraging thing in this game is that they were able to push through and, and... widen the gap between a potential one-point game at home or a big three-point victory. And I think that was the difference here, and we saw that Madrid that we know um, back at it again. Yeah, no, obviously this is... Obviously Hazard being able to score, that's got to be a big confidence booster. Scoring in the Bernabeu, right? That, that's that's got to be huge No white hankies today. Yes, of course, of course. And... Benzema popping up with a goal again. He's been he's been so fantastic this season. Incredible. Um, he at times has carried them this season. Literally. Oh yeah, very literally. Yeah, he he's been awesome. He's he's leading leading in terms of uh, goals, six goals. Him and obviously Gerard Moreno still. Um, but yeah, they they're, they're they're starting to hopefully starting to get it together a little bit. Um, it, you know, things still aren't quite convincing, but you know they're getting results in the league right now, and that's all that matters. Um, while they're still trying to get these players acclimated and get them, you know, in together, um, so there, there's still I think a long way to go in terms of the cohesiveness of this team. But to be getting results when we don't feel like they're the finished product yet, and then stay atop the league. Um, is still is still a great achievement, and and they've still looked solid, more or less, um, as a whole. You know, still yeah. haven't lost a game yet. So. Yeah. So yeah, we we've got we've got the um, El Clasico in two, two weeks. Yeah. All right. So I'm uh, I'm taking Rian out to a Barcelona bar here in New York. Uh, we've already set up everything, so we will we will be having a time. That uh, that day, and well, I'm sure we'll have a, a major recap after after the Clasico because yeah. with both those teams being in first and second um, in Real Madrid and Barcelona respectively, it's going to be a very important game. Yeah, exactly, and then we'll we'll have to see. I mean, they go to uh, Madrid, goes to Mallorca, 
next week. Not an so. easy place to go to. Um, although recently promoted side um, in terms of quality is not going to be up there with Real Madrid. So we'll see how that game goes. Um, and Barcelona go to Ibar uh, in their next game. So that is also not an easy place to go at all. Um, we saw that last, uh, I think it was a couple years ago. But yeah, so Real Madrid getting another three points um, to be able to stay top of the table. But the real match of the weekend in Spain that a lot of people were looking forward to, um, from an objective standpoint, I will say, uh, Barcelona-Sevilla. Barcelona coming out with a huge 4-0 performance, but I cannot stress this enough that this scoreline does not accurately reflect how this game went. This is, I think, the two games in most recent memory for Barcelona that stood out in terms of scorelines that were not accurate were this game and the Liverpool home game, in which they won 3-0, because both of those games should not have been clean sheets (laughs) for this team in any way. So, in the beginning, I would say first 20-25 minutes of this game, Sevilla really came at Barcelona. They really created chances. They had, I think it was like four chances, at least, in those first 20-25 minutes that were very clear-cut. They weren't like... I don't know what the stats were for their their chances or expected goals, but they fully could have scored at least two goals. It could have been 2-0 after like 25 minutes to Sevilla. But Sevilla's biggest problem, and we've seen this throughout the entire season, is that they don't have a proper striker. Luke de Jong, although he played very, very well at PSV last season in the Dutch league, hasn't been able to replicate that form here. And that is the difference between this Sevilla side and this Barcelona side. Because after not playing well after those first 25 minutes, one Suarez goal, one Suarez shot, right. and it's 1-0 Barcelona. And that changed the entire rest of the game from there. There was, I mean, I wouldn't say there was no coming back, but 10 minutes later, they were up 3 nothing. They scored three goals within eight minutes, and, and the game was over, right? So th- that's the difference here between playing, you know, Luke de Jong versus Suarez, because those two are really the, the two people that decided this game. And I feel for Luke de Jong and Sevilla because this was this is essentially an entirely new Sevilla team, but you really have to take your chances when you're in on goal like that. There were times where I was like, honestly, I think I could have scored that. Like genuinely think I could have scored that. It was as simple as, as putting it into a small gap, you know, to the, either the right or the left to Ter Stegen, sometimes mostly the right, but he just missed those chances and and that cannot happen if you're at the camp new because you're only going to get so many yeah no it's not it's not often that um <laughs> that you will win the expected goals battle but lose 4-0 Sevilla, 3.04 expected goals, Barcelona, 2.4. Yeah. yeah they, they had 53% of the chances. In the, Sevilla had 53% of the chances in this game. They had more shots, um, less shots on target. But obviously, again, that's, right. that's because they, could, they just couldn't finish. Um, um, they had more passes within, the, within, the, within 20 yards of the goal than Barcelona in this game. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, they just didn't finish chances. I mean, Luke de Jong... <laughs> he he's literally like always within the six twice and and can't put the ball into the net. Um, is it was, I mean, really, really quite horrible from Sevilla um, in terms of finishing chances. And in the second half, they, I mean, the second half they had chances too. So um, they're going to be extremely disappointed to come out of this game without without even scoring, right? Let alone losing. Um, and you can't do this when you you can't do that when you go to the Camp Nou because you you have to put your chance away because you can't expect 
you can't expect you're going to keep a clean sheet there. You know, it's almost a given that Barcelona will score will score at least once <laughs> in the Camp Nou. So, so you got to be able to finish your chances there. You can't you just can't expect to um, pick up any result without without finishing your three shots that you have within the six <laughs> during this game. I mean, it's actually yeah, it's uh, it's literally that. It's literally that. They have four. They have five shots <laughs> that are within eight yards of the goal. Yeah, and they finished none of them. Um, three of them are just straight misses, not even on target. Right, right. That was the biggest thing. They actually missed the goal entirely. So they need to figure out their striking situa- situation. I'm sorry, Luke De Jong, but you got to step it up. But the other big part of this game was was toward the end of the game. when um, So Chicharito was running clear through on goal. And the youngster, Araujo, who is a uh, youth team player for Barcelona... He was getting his debut, and he is a center back and, and running back with Chicharito. He did grab his shirt. It didn't impede Chicharito at all. It was more like a, a grab of the shirt, not a tug. Grabbed the shirt and then did a shoulder bump against him, to which he got he proceeded to receive a red card for that specific foul, which we can talk about the red card all day, and I don't want to. I personally think it was not a red, <coughs> a red card. I think it was genuinely a yellow card. And I don't think... You're, I know you're going to say something. I know you're going to say something. But I think it was genuinely a yellow card. But I'll, I'll get to the, the second point I wanted to make. But go ahead. Let me hear yeah, your thoughts. So, so my, my problem isn't the card. Because on the full face of it, if you're calling a foul there, he is completely... Through on goal, it's one on one. That that, right. that has to be a red card every day. He's the last defender. That that's just pure letter of the yes, law. Yes, but was it was it that bad of a foul? That's not the point, though. It's a if I'm saying if it's if it's a foul that's being called, that has to be a red. It has to be. But my problem is that I don't think it was a foul. I I, I, I that is my right. I, I, I agree. Don't yeah. think, I just yeah. don't think it was a foul. I think if. If you call a foul, he has to get sent off. That's that's the tough yes, thing. Yes, yes. That, okay, that that's. I don't fair. think I just don't think it was a foul on that play. And then you and then obviously you followed up with um, Mr. Dembele <sighs> coming in and and um, from all the things that I've read, <laughs> basically just saying to the ref because he doesn't speak Spanish right, right, right. at all. Basically just saying to the ref, "You are very bad." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and he just kept saying that to the ref, and the ref told him to stop. And he just kept saying it to him. So, um, yeah. So he got a second yellow for that, and yeah. that sends him off. Well, no. So here's actually this is the difference. He didn't get a second yellow, and I realized this after the game. If he had gotten a second yellow, it would have been essentially a one match ban, right? Which would have led him to not miss the Classico in two weeks, which is quote unquote fine. It's not great, right. but it's better. But because he got a straight red card for talking back to the referee, that's oh. an automatic two-match ban. So he didn't actually get a, a second. second yellow card. He just got a straight wow. red. Yeah, yeah, no. This The whole time I thought, because I knew he'd been booked early in the game, I just assumed that he gave him a second yellow. No, no. He fully got a, like a straight yellow, a straight red card for saying, you are very bad. And I am I know for a fact that Luis Suarez has said worse things to Mateo Wallace <laughs> before. And this is just... The smallest of infractions to say you are very bad to a to a referee. There, there's definitely worse things that have been said to to a ref to to warrant a red card. So it, it's ridiculous. But the <laughs> I gotta say, Dembele finds ways to miss matches in the most ridiculous <laughs> ways. From injuries to this, it's 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 not even funny at this point that he's just. 
It's almost like he's looking for ways to, to mismatches. I thought he had a good game. I didn't think he had, he had an amazing game. I thought his goal was incredible. Right. I thought his run-in to put the defender on the ground and quite literally like slide out of the frame of the camera. <laughs> um, and then we saw Dembele slot at home for, for that goal. And so I thought he had a good game. Um, started to, to peel off a little bit towards the, the end of the second half and within the second half, but... Yeah, his goal will be a confidence booster, and, and I, I hope he's back after the class go and returns to his form because that was just a massive L. But, yeah, Dembele, I don't know what that was about. When Messi went to Mateo Lajos, the, the referee, and was like, yeah, but he doesn't speak Spanish. He literally can't speak. <laughs> and Mateo Lajos is like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. It just, it, my blood was boiling, but that's that's the neither here nor there. So. Well, I should move on to one last bit of news I went to get to in La Liga. Um, Espanol, I, I did mention this last weekend on the, the league recap, but David Gallego is uh, no longer Espanol manager. He was let go and fired about five or six days ago and replaced by former Sevilla manager uh, Pablo Machin from, from last season. He was the, the coach. Machin uh, was notably let go in, in Spain after he was knocked out by... Our favorite <laughs> Champions League team in the, in the group of death, Slavia Praha, from uh, from last year's Europa League, um, and he was let go in March of last year from from Sevilla. So I actually do like Pablo Machín. I think this is a good addition to the Espanol side. I'm very interested to see what he can do with the talent that's on Espanol. I think they're struggling a little bit in that area, um, which I'm of course very happy about, but. I'm very interested to see how Pablo Machin sets up this team. I think he's a quality coach. He's capable of winning games. But with the way that Espanol have been going, he's going to need to to start winning games sooner rather than later. Um, so I wish him the best of luck. Uh, from a personal standpoint, I don't wish Espanol any luck. But we will see what happens with, with the next couple of games that Espanol have to play. They don't play Barcelona until um, the turn of the new year. So that we won't get to see those those two teams match up and probably see Pablo Machin until then. But best of luck to to him in his new role and uh, R.I.P. to David Gallego. Um, but with that, I think we are wrapped up here on the pod. Uh, as always, definitely follow follow us on Twitter at the Overlap underscore Pod. And like Rian said last weekend, uh, we do have our Facebook page up. Uh, it's pretty straightforward. It's the Overlap. <laughs> Uh, I don't think you can miss it there, but feel free to follow, like, and subscribe to the pod. And as always, hope you're enjoying the content. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, as always, feel free to email us at theoverlappod at gmail.com. So with that, Rion, do you want to add anything before we wrap up here? Um, yeah, if you, again, uh, subscribe on, we're on Spotify, we're on um, Apple Podcasts, and most importantly, if you could leave us any sort of rating on on uh, Apple Podcasts, that would be we would be greatly thankful for that too. Um, but no, I think I think that's all I've got. Awesome. With that, guys, we will see you guys next week on the next pod. Take care. Thanks, guys. Thanks.